If we only listen to the competing voices in our culture, then we're likely to ignore the most important realities in life, eternal realities. Where else will we hear about God, salvation, heaven, hell, and judgment unless we are confronted with God's Word on a weekly basis? Welcome to the Radical with David Platt podcast, the latest sermons from teacher, author, and pastor David Platt delivered weekly. As always, you can find thousands of more free resources over at Radical.net. Well, in today's sermon from Acts chapter 20, David Platt urges pastors and all Christians to consider why God's word must be supreme in the church. Instead of focusing on the ideas of man, we desperately need to hear from the God who speaks to us in scripture. Here's David with a sermon titled, The Bible in the Church, part two from Acts chapter 20. If you have a Bible, and I hope you do, let me invite you to open with me to Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20, and if you don't have a Bible, let me encourage you to find somebody around you who does. You can look on while you're turning there. I want to welcome those of you who are gathering with us at Loudoun and Prince William, Montgomery County. It is good to be together around God's Word. Uh, Last week, uh, we were in the first part of Acts chapter 20, and so we started part one of two parts on the Bible in the church. And specifically, we saw how God intends for the Bible to be taught and discussed and obeyed and visualized in the church. We had an opportunity to visualize the Word and seeing 53 people baptized here at Tyson's and more at Prince William, it was an awesome Sunday, just story after story of men and women and students and entire families whom God has given life through his words. So today, I just want to pick up where we left off. Uh, last week, we saw how God intends for his word to be taught, discussed, visualized, obeyed. This week, I want to ask the question, Why? So why is it so important for the Bible to be the supreme focus in the church? We mentioned last week that all sorts of churches relegate the Bible to a minor role in the church. All sorts of pastors relegate the Bible to a minor role in their preaching. I remember my mentor in preaching, Jim Shaddix, he used to describe different approaches to using the Bible in a sermon And he used the imagery of a swimming pool and he said, some pastors use the Bible like a diving board. They read a text and jump off into the water never to return to the text again. Others use the text, uh, biblical text like pool furniture. They just take a swim around and their thoughts and stories every once in a while give a nod or two to a text here or there on the side. But he said it's totally different when a pastor sees the biblical text as the pool and he just jumps in and the whole sermon is swimming around in it. So he was like, brothers, swim in the word. So why? Why should we swim in the word? Why should this book be supreme in the church? And the last part of Acts chapter 20 gives us an answer to that question. Now, we mentioned last week that this this, uh, text is a sermon that Paul preached to the elders or pastors of the church at Ephesus. And you see both those words, pastor, elder. You also see overseer in this text. And all three of those words in the New Testament are interchangeable, meaning that these terms, elder, pastor, overseer, uh, 
all refer to the same group of people. They're interchangeable terms. And it's interesting, there wasn't just one pastor or elder overseer in the church at Ephesus or other churches in the New Testament, for that matter. We always see a team of pastors or elders in different places in the New Testament, like this team of elders at Ephesus, which is why, just a side note here at McLean, there's not just one pastor for over 10,000 people, but many pastors in the church. A plurality of pastors is a biblical picture. So it's in the context of this emotional, powerful speech to these pastors that Paul pleads with them to keep the word primary in the church at least seven different times in this sermon. He talks about the importance of declaring, teaching, proclaiming, admonishing with the word of God. So we went through verse 24 last week. Let's pick up where we left off in verse 25. Let's listen to what Paul says to these pastors and then ask the question, why? Why must the word be supreme in the church? Acts chapter 20, verse 25. Paul says, And now behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all. For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert Remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who are with me. In all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way we must help the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken, that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. Wow, what a scene. These men just weeping as they spend these last moments together on earth and then part ways. So five reasons why the word must be supreme in the church. Why Paul wanted to make sure at Ephesus the word was supreme. So you might write these down. Number one, the word must be supreme in the church because of what's at stake. Because of what's at stake. So after Paul says that he'll never see these brothers again, he says in verse 26, therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Now that is quite a statement. Think about what Paul just said. Paul just said because he declared to the people at Ephesus the whole counsel of God, he's now innocent of their blood. What does that mean? Well, I'm glad you asked. Hold your place here in Acts and turn me back in the Old Testament to Ezekiel chapter 33. 
Ezekiel chapter 33. Feel free to use the table of contents if you, if you need to. But find Ezekiel chapter 33 because Paul is using language here in Acts that is based on language Ezekiel, the prophet, used in the Old Testament. So what we're about to read, Ezekiel chapter 33, Ezekiel was prophesying, speaking God's word and proclaiming judgment that God was about to bring on his people. And we see this dialogue between God and Ezekiel, God speaking to Ezekiel and through Ezekiel about the role he had as a prophet, calling him a watchman. And I want you to see if you can identify the language that's similar to Acts chapter 20. So listen to this, Ezekiel chapter 33, verse 1. The word of the Lord came to me, Ezekiel says, Son of man, speak to your people and say to them, If I bring the sword upon a land and the people of the land take a man from among them and make him their watchman, and if he sees the sword coming upon the land and blows the trumpet and warns the people, then if anyone who hears the sound of the trumpet does not take warning and the sword comes and takes him away, his blood shall be upon his own head. He heard the sound of the trumpet and did not take warning. His blood shall be upon himself. But if he had taken warning, he would have saved his life. But if the watchman sees the sword coming and does not blow the trumpet so that the people are not warned and the sword comes and takes any one of them, that person is taken away in his iniquity, but his blood I will require at the watchman's hand. So you, son of man, I've made a watchman for the house of Israel. Whenever you hear a word from my mouth, you shall give them warning from me. If I say to the wicked, O wicked one, you shall surely die, and you do not speak to warn the wicked to turn from his way, that wicked person shall die in his iniquity, but his blood I will require at your hand. But if you warn the wicked to turn from his way, and he does not turn from his way, that person shall die in his iniquity, but you will have delivered your soul. That's a pretty heavy passage. So, so the picture here is, imagine you know something. Imagine you know news that could save someone. If you tell that person that news, this news that can save them, and they reject that news, they don't listen to you, they don't respond to what you said, then you're innocent of that person's blood. It's not on your hands. But if you know that news, news that can save somebody, and you don't share it with them, and something happens to them, then you are guilty of that person's blood. So that's the background. Then you come to Acts 20. We know when Paul refers to people's blood here, he's not, he's not talking about their earthly death. He's referring to their eternal death. He's talking about them being lost forever in hell. And we, we know this because it wouldn't make sense for Paul to say, because I've taught you the Bible, I'm not responsible if you get killed on earth. That's not what he's saying. In fact, Paul's teaching of the word may actually get them or him killed on earth. But what Paul's saying here is that if you're lost for all of eternity, it won't be because I didn't warn you. I warned you with everything in me. I taught you the whole word. I didn't hold back. I didn't shrink back from any of it. I gave all of the word to you. And this is huge. So we live in a day in the church where we are tempted to pick and choose what we talk about from the Bible. Keep it positive, people say. Just talk about love, not wrath. Talk about mercy, not judgment. But ladies and gentlemen, the church does not have the option of picking and choosing which parts of the Bible to talk about. 
So yes, absolutely, this book contains good news of God's love toward those who trust in him, and we want to talk about that. But this book also contains terrifying news of God's judgment toward those who turn from him, and we must talk about that. The church, this church, will not be faithful before God, and pastors, teachers in the church will not be faithful before God if we know this and say nothing. If we know this and say nothing, we will stand guilty before God for people's eternity. That's what the Bible is saying. This is massive. Do we realize what's at stake here? I, I hear people say today, if you're going to be effective in preaching, keep it light, keep it positive, tell stories, be creative, give some jokes. I see churches advertised, no fire and brimstone here, just practical, witty messages. Can you imagine? Be witty, Paul. (laughs) Keep it light, man. (laughs) I, I come into this gathering this morning. I know there are marriages right now in this room and other campuses that are struggling and husbands and wives are wondering what to do. I know there are hurting single parents right now. I know there are parents whose children have disabilities and trying their best to love their kids, but they're worn out. I know there are family members from this church off in a foreign country defending freedom, families wondering when they're going to see them again. I know that right now there are moms and dads and husbands and wives and kids that are walking through cancer and some dying of debilitating diseases. And in the middle of all of that, I'm supposed to tell a joke, share some stories. And all of these things are just trials and suffering on this earth. You lift your eyes to eternity and things go to a whole nother level. I read one church advertise our sermons are relevant, upbeat, and best of all, short. You won't hear a lot of preaching about sin and damnation and hell. Preaching here doesn't sound like preaching. It's sophisticated, polished, and casual talk. Clearly, we, we, we don't realize what's at stake. You know, I, I, I read 2 Corinthians 4, 4 through 6. 2 Corinthians 4, 4, it's an incredible picture. Verse 4 says there's a God, little g, God in this world that is blinding the minds of unbelievers from seeing the glory of God in Christ. That's verse 4. Verse 6 says there's a God, capital G, God over this world who's shining light into hearts. So you got this picture, this cosmic battle between little g, God in this world, big G, God over this world, blinding minds, shining light. And right in the middle, it says 2 Corinthians 4, 5, and we preach Christ. We preach the one who died on a cross and rose from the grave and conquered sin and death. So do we realize what's at stake here? There is a true God, capital G God, over this world right now who longs for everybody in this gathering to bow at the feet of a loving Savior and live forever with him. At the same time, so don't miss this. So that's, that's true. Then there right now is a false God, little g God in this world that longs for every single person in this gathering to burn in hell forever. 
There's a little G God in this world who's working every moment of every day to blind you, blind us from the fact that the God of the universe is infinitely holy, that our sin is infinitely offensive in his sight, that his wrath towards sinners is infinitely just and his grace is infinitely precious. And our brief life and the brief life of every single one of us in this gathering either leads to everlasting joy or everlasting suffering. If that is the case, then we don't need casual talks every week. The world is filled with monotonous meaningless chatter all week long. We need at least one hour in the week where together we open this book, we see the glory of God, the wrath of God, the love of God, the judgment of God, the mercy of God on display. If the church and preaching in the church doesn't carry the weight of these things, what will? TV? Twitter? Facebook? No, we need to be, rem- we need to be reminded every single week when we open this word, what is at stake in our lives? This word must be supreme because of what's at stake. That's reason number one. Second reason the word must be supreme in the church, why it must be taught and discussed and obeyed and visualized. Second, because of who's in charge. Because of who's in charge. So I I love the language in the next verse, verse 28, when Paul describes the church as a flock. And then see how he brings the whole trinity into this thing. He says, the Holy Spirit has made you an overseer, a pastor in the church. That church belongs to God. It's the church of God because he obtained it with his own blood. So you you see it there? God the Holy Spirit, God the Father. Then the last phrase, a reference to God the Son, Jesus, who bought the church with his own blood. Now, for non-Christian friends or family members who are here, let let me briefly explain what that means. So more than anything else, we hope this is what you hear this morning. I was, I was over in Herndon last week and I had the opportunity to share the gospel with a couple of guys from Nepal and they asked me to summarize the message of Christianity. So I'll share with you what I shared with them. In a nutshell, there is one God over the world and we have all sinned against this God. And as a result, we are separated from God. And if we die in our state of guilt before God, separation from God, we will be separated from him forever in hell. But this God loves us. Indeed, he is full of grace and full of mercy. And he's made a way for any one of us to be forgiven of all our sin. God has come to us in the person of Jesus, a man just like us in every way, yet without sin. He had no sin for which to pay. Yet in love, Jesus chose to pay the price for our sin by dying on a cross in our place. He shed his blood as a sacrifice for our sin, taking the judgment we deserve upon himself so that when we turn from our sin and trust in him and what he has done for us, we can be forgiven of all of our sin and reconciled to God now and forever in heaven. It's the greatest news in all the world. And it's what makes the church the church. So we are not the church in this gathering because we all have the same background, the same personalities, the same politics, the same ethnicity. And we are not the church because we're all perfect and have it all figured out. The one thing that makes us the church is the fact that we have been bought by the blood of Jesus Christ. So if you're not a Christian, we invite you today to put your trust in Jesus. You today 
can be forgiven of all of your sin and reconciled to God forever by turning from your sin and yourself, your every attempt to save yourself and by trusting in Jesus as Savior and Lord by trusting in his love for you. And then all of that leads back to why the word of God must be supreme in the church because this is his church. The church belongs to God because of who's in charge. The church belongs to God, not to pastors. The, the church does not now and will not ever belong to Dale Sutherland or Lon Solomon or me or anybody else. We sometimes talk like that. We say, oh yeah, that's this person's church or this pastor's church. No, no, no. This church was bought by Jesus. This church belongs to God. And any pastor of a church serves under his authority, which is an awesome thought, isn't it? God loves this church. God loves McLean Bible Church so much that he bought this church with his blood. And he is in charge of it. So don't miss this. If that's true, then no pastor has a right to speak his own words in the church. The pastor's job is to speak God's word in the church. Paul's telling these pastors then and any pastor, including me today, that the word must be supreme in the church because we're not in charge. He is. God's in charge of his church which means his word must be supreme. So the word must be supreme because of what's at stake, who's in charge. Then third reason, the word of God must be supreme because of the threats to us. Because of the threats to us. Paul says in the very next verse, verse 29, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. So there it is again, this imagery, the church described as a flock of sheep which is humbling when you think about it. I mean, we, we like to think of sheep as cute, cuddly animals, but anyone who has ever been around sh sheep knows that they are definitively not cute, cuddly animals. Sheep are dirty. They're easily susceptible to all kinds of pests and lice and ticks and worms. Sheep have to be washed with strong chemicals to get rid of all that stuff. And they're not smart they're hopelessly, helplessly foolish. They aimlessly wander. And whenever they get into danger, i.e. when wolves come after them, they have no defense mechanism. All they can do is run. And they're slow. <laughs> we laugh, but this is how the Bible describes us. The Bible does not refer to us in the church as lions or stallions or some kind of triumphant, strong animal. No, no, no. We're aimless, wandering, dirty, dumb sheep. <laughs> and the Spirit has inspired us to see ourselves that way. But it, it's kind of the point, right? Like Jesus came to the earth not for clean, perfect, easy people, but for sinful, dirty, messed up people like you and me. And as sheep... We need help against attack. So I've mentioned there's a little G God in this world. There's an adversary in this world, Satan, who wants to pull us away from the one true God over this world. And he is always attacking from all kinds of sides. You see at least 
three different ways he attacks in this text. One, Paul talks about threats from around us. Paul says wolves are going to come at the church from outside the church, which is clear. We've seen it all over the book of Acts. The church was constantly being persecuted in the first century. And we know we live in a culture in the 21st century where there are all kinds of attacks on the church from outside the church. We see that in our culture here increasingly. We see it in countries around the world where so many of our brothers and sisters in Christ are persecuted in the church. We'll talk about that more even next week. Paul talks about the threats around us, but then second, he talks about the threats among us. Look at verse 30. Paul says, for among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. From among your own selves. Paul says they're not just threats outside the church, but inside the church. Paul is speaking to these pastors and he said, don't assume anything. Some of you elders in the church are going to rise up and start speaking twisted things that are not in line with God's word. Which is not surprising to hear when you, when you think about what Paul said earlier in verse 28. He said to these pastors, pay attention to yourselves. Even before he tells them to pay attention to the church, he says, pay attention to yourselves. Watch yourselves because you're going to be tempted to turn away from God's word. So there's attacks. See it from the adversary in the church. One around us, two among us, and then third within us. Among our own lives. That's why Paul says down in verse 30, therefore be alert, be alert. Don't let your guard down in the church. Oh, this is so important. McLean Bible Church, hear this. Brothers and sisters, hear this. Know this. Satan never takes vacations. He is relentless in his attacks against you and your family and this church, which is why the word must be supreme in this church. Paul says, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. Did you catch that? Every night, Paul said, every day I was encouraging, teaching, admonishing you with this word because if I didn't, I knew the adversary would come in from within or without and have his way with you. Oh, McLean, this word must be supreme in the church because of the threats to you. There is an adversary. Do not be deceived. There's an adversary who's working every day in your life, in your kids' lives, in your marriage, in your family, in your singleness, in this church to pull you away from God. So stay steadfast in his word. Teach this word. Listen to this word. Visualize this word. Read this word. Obey this word because you're constantly under attack and you need this word. We need this word. We, we don't need jokes and stories. We need this word. And... And so we need this word, not just because of the threats to us, but because of the promises for us. So this is the fourth reason the word must be supreme in the church, because of the promises in it for our lives. Look at verse 32. And now, Paul says, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Oh, what a great verse. Paul's about to leave these guys. He's not going to see him again. So he says, here's what I give you. I give you the word. I give you the word of God's grace. And see what he says this word is able to do. It's able to build them up. It's able to give them an inheritance. It's able to sanctify them. Oh, this word is powerful. Do you realize what this word is able to do in 
our lives, in your life, right where you're sitting right now, what this word is able to do, it's able to build you up. This is huge. You know, sometimes we think, we wouldn't say this out loud, I don't think, but we're tempted to at least think, isn't the Bible a bit antiquated? I mean, I got all these things going on in my life in the 21st century with I family work, and I'm just struggling to keep it all together. So I'm going to come in here, and we're going to spend the majority of our time studying a book that was written 2,000 years ago. In many cases, parts of the Bible well over 2,000 years ago. When, with, with all that's going on in my life right now, you're, you're gonna, we're going to spend all this time talking about a Jewish guy talking with some pastors in Asia in the first century. And others might say, well, at least we're not in Leviticus and all those weird laws. And what does that have to do with our lives? And that's a good question. So is the Bible relevant to the pressures and challenges, realities of everyday life in the 21st century? And in answer to that question, I just want to invite you to hear what this book promises you. This book promises to show you the way to true success and true prosperity, Joshua 1, 8 and 9. This book has power to convert your soul, make you wise, give joy to your heart, and enlighten your eyes, Psalm 19, 7 through 11. This word promises guidance and direction for your future, Psalm 119, 105. This word promises comfort and strength in your struggles, Isaiah 41 through 31. This word reveals Jesus, God in the flesh to you, John 1, 1 through 14. This word has the power to save you from all of your sin forever, Romans chapter 10, verse 17. This word gives peace, promises peace to you amidst anxiety and worry in this world, Philippians 4, 4 through 7. This word provides daily spiritual nourishment to you from God himself, like milk to a newborn baby, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 2. You just think about your life Listen to the promises this book makes. When you feel alone, in Joshua chapter 1, verse 5, the God of the universe says, I will be with you. I will never leave you or forsake you. When you are confused, God says in this book, trust me with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge me, and I will, God promises, I will make your path straight. Are you making difficult decisions where you need wisdom? God promises, James chapter one, verse five. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask me and I give generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to you. When you feel the world coming in around you, God says, Zephaniah 3, 17, I, will take, I take great delight in you. I will quiet you with my love and I will rejoice over you with singing. God says that. When you're afraid because you don't know what's coming around the corner, when you're walking through cancer battle like somebody I was talking to just a minute ago and she said, Isaiah 43, God gave me this week. Fear not, I have redeemed you. I have called you by name and you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. When you pass through rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through fire, you will not be burned because I am the Lord your God and you're precious and honored in my sight and I love you. No, you keep going. How about Romans chapter eight? When you feel captive to sin, this word says there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. When you're uncertain about the future, Romans 8, 15 through 17 reminds you, you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear. You received the spirit of sonship and you had the privilege of going to God and saying, Abba, Father, the spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. And if we are children, we are heirs, heirs with God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we may share in suffering in order that one day we're gonna share in glory. When things aren't working out in your life the way you think they're supposed 
supposed to. And you're wondering why this is happening. God says, trust me, I'm working all these things together for the good of those who love me and have been called according to my purpose. When you face seemingly insurmountable trials in this world, you don't know what to do. Just remember Romans 8, 31. What shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? And when you, when, when you have a mom or dad or a husband or a wife who leaves the house, never to return again. You have a God who says in this word, know this, neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons in the present nor the future nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will ever separate you from my love in Christ Jesus our Lord. So ladies and gentlemen, this book is absolutely relevant to your life. When you realize the promises from God that are all over the... Bible, the question's no longer, why should we listen to and teach the Bible in the church? The question is now, why would we listen to and teach anything else? We'd be fools not to swim in this book. I need to point out one other thing here. So when Acts 20 says this word of God's grace is able to give you an inheritance among those who are sanctified, that's a great phrase, an inheritance among those who are sanctified. That's really important to pay attention to because this, this is the purpose of the Bible. The purpose of the Bible is to sanctify you, to, to make you and me look and live more like Jesus, more like God has created us to live. And I think many, if not most people, don't get this. So many people, maybe most, think the purpose of the Bible is to answer every question we have or to give practical instruction for every situation we face or decision we make in our lives. That's how we oftentimes try to see the Bible. And, and as a result, pastors are prone to try to turn the Bible into a book like that. Pastors preach sermons on, there's 10 tips, 10 tips for parenting teenagers or seven tips to financial success. And, and sure, the, the Bible speaks to parenting and finances in various ways with various principles. But, but the purpose of this book it's not to be a how-to guide for parenting teenagers or a how-to guide for 401ks and financial success. No, those are just two examples. The reality is there's all kinds of questions in the world that the Bible doesn't specifically answer. And there's all kinds of decisions we make and situations we face in our lives that the Bible doesn't specifically address, which causes some people to say, or at least think, well, what, what good is it then if, if it's not going to give me answers for the questions I have or practical instructions for all the decisions I make, then why read it every day? Why gather together once a week to study it and listen to it in the church? That's part of why many professing Christians don't spend time in the Bible during the week. And why many churches don't spend time in the Bible on Sundays or pastors relegated to a minor role. But this is where we need to realize that the Bible was written for a much, much greater purpose than these things. From beginning to end, the purpose of this book is clear. So in the very beginning, God creates the heavens and the earth. He makes man and woman in his image. By Genesis chapter 3, three chapters in, the earth is corrupt and the image of God in man and woman is marred. And thus begins a story 
of how God recreates man and, man and woman in his image, how God restores man and woman to himself, how God saves men and women from themselves, conforms them into his image, how he sanctifies us, how he restores us to be who he's created us to be. That's the whole goal of his word, which is why when you get to the end, you get to Revelation chapter 22 here at the end, and you see a picture of men and women resurrected from death, released from sin and all of its effects, recreated in the image of God, restored to his likeness in a new heaven and a new earth. That's what this book is all about. It's about how God is recreating, transforming, conforming sinners like you and me into the image of Christ, how he's sanctifying us. That's what this book has supernatural power to do in our lives, which is why reading and teaching, listening to this book is the most valuable use of our time in our lives and in the church. It's why reading, teaching, even listening to Leviticus is valuable. Because here's the deal. If the Bible is only intended to answer all the questions you and I have and give practical instructions for every single decision we face or situation we enter into, then, then we won't read Leviticus very much. For that matter, to use those examples earlier, for all we're looking for is parenting and financial tips, we won't read a lot of the Bible. We'll, we'll come to it every day and then come in here wondering, why, why are we studying all this? What, what's the point? Why do you study so much of the Old Testament even? But do you know why we should read and study and teach and listen to Leviticus and all 65 other books in the Bible? Here's why. Because Leviticus and every other book in the Bible is guaranteed by God to sanctify us, to draw us into a closer relationship with him, to restore us in his image, to help us look more like Jesus and live the life God has created us to live. And that is the greatest need we have in our lives. Please hear this. The greatest need you have in your life right now is to look more like Jesus. It's to know God, to walk and step with his spirit. And you know what? If you're a parent with teenagers or any kids, you know what your kid's greatest need is? Your kid's, your teenager's greatest need is a mom or dad who looks like Jesus, who's walking in step with the Spirit of God. Because the more you look and live like Jesus, the more you're walking in step with His Spirit, the more that radically transforms everything about you, your parenting, use of money, and every other facet of your life. Your greatest need in this room is to think, love, love, live, serve like Jesus, to walk in step with the wisdom and strength of the Spirit of God. And every bit of this book is supernaturally designed by God to do that work in your heart and life. So the last thing we need to do when we gather together is talk talk about how to live without feeding on the one book that has supernatural power to enable us to live the way God has created us to live. No, we want to saturate our singing and our praying and our preaching, our listening with this word because we know this word is good. This word alone has supernatural power to meet the deepest need in our life. And that's the need to know God and to walk in intimacy with him. Oh, God, help us to get this. You get that. You realize that the grand, I think about all the needs in this room. We realize that our greatest need is to know God. Then it'll drive us to this book. As long as we're deceived thinking we have all these other needs, then we'll, we'll wander around looking for all kinds of stuff in the world. We need this book in our lives, in our families, in the church, because it has power 
help us know and walk with the God of the universe. The word must be supreme in the church because of what it promises for our lives. It has power to build us up, sanctify us as we look forward to our inheritance. Huh, last reason, we're totally out of time. Uh, uh, all right, so I'll just, I'll just hit this one briefly. It's so important, though, but another day. All right, so the, the word must be supreme in the church, not just because of its promises to us, but because of the needs around us. Because of the needs around us. So it's so interesting how Paul closes this time with these elders, these pastors, and he says, I didn't covet money when I was with you. It almost seems in a sense kind of like out of left field. I didn't covet money when I was with you. I worked hard to help the weak and the needy, knowing it's more blessed to give than to receive. So Paul's looking at these pastors, he says, Brothers, the whole point of a pastor is not to get, but to give. And not just a pastor. The whole point of following Christ is not to acquire more in this world, but to give to need in this world. It's very basic. Jesus said, it's more blessed to give than to receive. So uh, there's so much more to dive into here. Uh, For now, we'll just suffice to say, This word is not just needed in the church. This word is needed in the world. This word is needed. It causes people to realize what's really at stake in this world. There's all kinds of messages all around the world right now saying, this is what matters, this is what matters. This word says, no, 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 this is what matters. This word causes people to remember who's in charge of this world. This word is needed. And we we talked about Satan's attacks in the church. Just think about all the attacks of Satan in the world. This word is needed to help people in the attacks of Satan in this world. And not just because the attacks. This word is needed because all the promises that are in this word for people in this world, they need to hear these promises. To believe them, to receive them. So, So brothers and sisters, as we make this word supreme in the church, Let's give our lives showing and spreading its supremacy in the world. This, is, this word is too good to keep to ourselves. So let, let's pray. Oh God, we, we praise you for your word. What a treasure that you have spoken to us, revealed yourself to us, that you have given us all we need to know you, to enjoy you, to walk with you forever. Oh God, we come needy people all across this room. We have so many different things going on in our lives, so many things going on in our families at work. We, we need your grace in so many different ways. And we praise you for the sufficiency of your word to meet our deepest need knowledge of you to bring us into intimacy with you so that as we live and work and we do all that we do this week that we walk in step with your spirit in doing those things so help us we pray we, we help us to heed Paul's warning to be alert to keep this word supreme oh God may it be so in the days months years to come may your word 
always be the supreme focus of McLean Bible Church. And may it be the supreme focus in our lives and our families. Lord, help us not to neglect this word. Help us to read it and preach it and hear it. Discuss it and obey it because of all these reasons we've seen in your word this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for being with us today on Radical with David Platt. If you'd like to find more resources related to today's sermon, just go to our website, radical.net. And if you found this podcast helpful, would you consider leaving us a review on iTunes? It only takes a few moments, but is so helpful in helping us get the word out about this resource. Well, thanks again for joining us today on Radical with David Platt. I'm your host, Thomas Bowen. And until next time, join us at Radical.net.